Welcome to the Greater Possibilities podcast from Investscope, where we put concerns into context and the opportunities into focus. Hi, I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. And we're talking about the mid-year outlook today, which means Alessio and Christina are back. That would be Christina Hooper, Invesco's Chief Global Market Strategist, and Alessio DeLongis, Head of Investments for the Invesco Investment Solutions Team. So, Brian, welcome to the middle of the year. That was quick, wasn't it? Yeah, all too quick. I mean, the kids are already just about done with school. We've got to slog through the the summer, keep working, but the kids seem pretty happy. But, you know, I mean, fortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad of a winter up here in the Northeast. We got through it. Yeah, I can't say we had much of a winter on the Gulf Coast either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe one day I'll get to live in the South, too. Well, well, keep in mind, it's supposed to hit 99 degrees here this week, so uh, there's a definite trade-off uh, for right. that benefit. But what's important here is the temperature of the markets. And I think the first half was a lot like your winter, Brian, milder than most expected, would you say? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the way I would categorize it, I've been talking to investors a lot, trying to put last year into perspective versus this year. I mean, last year was one of those years where things largely got worse relative to expectations, inflation, the amount of policy tightening. You remember all this, Russia going into <laughs> Ukraine. And, it's ringing some bells, yes. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a year in which things are generally getting a bit better. Inflation's coming down. Fed is likely at or near the end of its tightening cycle. The economy's been resilient. And so the, the market has taken some comfort in that. Yeah. And let's not forget that uh, despite all of the last minute drama, the debt ceiling was raised without incident. That's so right. that was a that was a nice um, way to mark the the middle of the year. Um, you know, and, and before the debt ceiling became such a focus, I mean, we were all focused on bank failures um, over the spring. But but here at the midpoint, it feels like policymakers have been able to manage all of this and and avoid the types of financial accidents that tend to happen at the end of policy tightening, would you say? Yeah, at least to this point. And, you know, it's funny. It's like, how can I forget the things that you just mentioned? It's it's a reminder that I think investors and we all collectively jump from one issue to the next. And and we almost forget when that issue is overcome or moves to the background. It's like, OK, yeah, we we knew that that was going to be fine. Done but that. Did we? On to yeah. the next thing. Right. Exactly. So how did market leadership change during all of this? Yeah, I would say the beginning of the year, and I know Alessio will talk to this, had like a soft landing feel. It was, you know, broad participation in the markets, types of things you would think would do well if the economy was doing well. Lately, the market's been driven by a handful of names, which which also has some information as well. Like, you know, that's that's what we call bad breath. So um, I guess improving economic economic activity be, would be the mouthwash to that bad breath. Bad, bad breath. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> is, is that technical yeah. humor? What is that? Yeah. I think it's dork humor, maybe dork and dad humor combined. Oh, that's the best kind of humor. Yeah, for sure. Um, for the sake of our audience, Brian, I'm going to brush past that. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I, I will. We'll paste over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mom humor is almost as bad as dad humor. But look. All right. We're done. We're done with this. We don't, we don't have, have time, time for this. Too much to talk about. <laughs> Let's get to Christina and Alessio. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Joey. Brian, always a pleasure being with you. Do you have any puns about bad breath or should we just get into the questions? <laughs> I've been racking my brain. I've been panicking, thinking about what I could come up with. It's dental Don't put related. them on the spot. <laughs> you, you'll, pick, uh, you'll pick your spots. 
So yeah, so it's, you know, we all heard, you know, hitting a couple of the highlights and some lowlights of the first half. So Christina, can you offer us a quick postmortem from your perspective? Sure, it was a very different environment from 2022, which I dubbed the Annus Horribilis, um, uh, channeling my inner Queen Elizabeth. Um, what we saw was, was uh, you know, equity markets around the world, um, with the exception of one major market, China, um, making gains. Uh, and so this was a, a, a fairly positive environment, although, of course, um, bad breath noted in, in the U.S. market. <laughs> One highlight that I don't think has gotten a lot of attention is, is the Japanese stock market. Um, Japanese stocks um, have been on a tear. The Nikkei 225 index uh, closed at its highest level since 1990. It's up well over 20% this year. Um, so a lot is happening. And I think some of that certainly is being driven by monetary policy. Uh, the BOJ is, is of course, um, unusual um, in that it has uh, held out and remained incredibly accommodative. Also a reminder that, you know, inflation, a little bit of inflation in a place like Japan can go a long way, be supportive it's not of a bad thing. nominal growth, be supportive of, of profitability. Alessio, have you been surprised by what we would categorize, or I think the media has categorized as the sustainability of this economy? It's been really remarkable. If you think about the, the, the what we have had in the backdrop, uh, the sharpest most rapid tightening cycle we've ever experienced and uh seeing that and what well, and in hints of, of bank failures uh, left and right and the resulting tightening in credit conditions they the the flattest or most inverted yield curve since the 1970s i mean you go down the checklist of all the the uh, the red flags ahead of recessions. It's it's absolutely remarkable how we sit here today with the unemployment rate at all time lows, not just in the US, also in the Eurozone, in the UK, right? The economy globally has remained remarkably resilient. Um, so it really speaks to uh, how much pent up demand there was in the system and how um, how tight labor markets were. So it is certainly a confirmation that the inflation spike that we saw last year uh, was was fundamentally justified. It was not just a one-off due to supply chains and inventory cycles. The, right, the strength of the labor market to this day um, is a confirmation of how tight um, uh, the inflationary picture um, uh, was in 2022, and we're seeing how slowly that inflation is is rolling over today because we still have very resilient labor markets. So yes, I I, I do think if you had asked me where we would be today a year ago, I I find today's results for the economy much more uh, positive than we would have expected. What about the question of recession in the U.S.? And I know Christina, you've called it the recession obsession in a, in a recent column and. And look, while you were while you were joking about needing to come up with a dental related analogy, I, I do recall one you sort of made about zombie bites, uh, the fact that uh, central bank policy and Fed tightening sort of bit the economy and everyone was anxiously waiting to see what was going to happen and what the result was going to be of that and if it was going to turn to recession. So, you know, what what do you think of, of this situation and what do you expect to see? Well, it is clearly a very unusual economic environment. Um, a tight labor market, the you know, is both a blessing and a curse. Uh, 
um, because certainly it has, as Alessio aptly pointed out, um, created an environment in which inflation is high. I mean, that has been a big contributor. Um, but at the same time, it's also the reason why the economy has been so resilient. I, I think about uh, something that, that the United Airlines CEO said last week. Um, leisure demand is really, really strong. Um, business demand hasn't fully recovered yet. We're probably in either a mild recession or moderate economy. Uh, I think actually in the U.S. we're in a business recession and the consumer is just fine. The consumer is strong. And I think that that quote kind of encapsulates or is, is emblematic of, um, of the unique economic environment that we're in, where we have areas of real strength, uh, including the consumer, which is, of course, a, a very large part of the economy, but also areas of weakness. And we are still waiting to see all the effects of monetary policy because there is that lag, just like there's a lag uh, between when someone is bitten by a zombie and they turn. <laughs> there is that um, significant policy lag between when it is implemented um, and when um, it, it has an effect on the real economy. That, that was exactly what I was going to ask. You know, Alessio, um, you talk about that a lot, the lag, the effects of policy tightening. And one year ago, so 12 months ago, the Fed funds rate, I think, was 1.00%, right? And so we've had an awful lot of tightening from where we were a year ago, some 425 basis points. So when you talk about the the checklists on the path towards recession, I mean, isn't doesn't that still give you some cause for concern, the amount of tightening that we've had? And should we still expect economic moderation or dare we even say a recession from here in the United States? I think the when you look historically, the evidence, uh, you know, the lead and lags of monetary policy, of course, um, we try to simplify them, but but they are uncertain and there is a large degree of variation. Right. And when you look at historical episodes, um, anywhere between 12 to 24 months, it's 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 a safe assumption in terms of the lagged effects of monetary policy and the impact on the economy. So that meaning we are just entering now the hot zone, so to speak. Right. But uh, with that being said, um, it, it doesn't, I think we, our generation has a little bit of an obsession with the recession word uh, because well, the last two recessions that we had were literally implosions. Right? <laughs> they were not just recessions. They were financial crises. It was the end of the world, right? 2008, 2020, everything required the bazooka to come in with zero rates, negative rates, quantitative easing, and, and so on and so forth. I think that's what really caused the obsession with the recession. But to Christina's point, we have done a lot of deleveraging on the consumer side, which is still 70% of the economy. Let's not forget that. Uh, a lot of the regulation also on the business side has prevented some of the leverage reverberation through the system that has created those uh, atomic bomb type recessions that we've seen, right? So if we, uh, so are we still, is it reasonable to still expect a recession? Yes, absolutely. Does it have to be an obsession that paralyzes us from making investment decisions or remaining fully invested with capital deployed? Absolutely not. Um, I think several asset classes are already priced for uh, for those recessions risk to be manageable. 
so to speak. Um, I don't know if Brian that answers your question, but I would I would say the the answer is yes. We we are still waiting for a, a, a recession, and no, that recession does not have to be an obsession that prevents us from making sound investment decisions. Not only does it answer my question, it exceeded my expectations in terms oh, of how you're going to answer that question. You. And, you know, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about 1991, which, of course, we all lived through. I mean, I was I was only in high school, but I remember a recession that in hindsight um, had some challenges, but we got through without you know, a bunch of banks failed, but we still got through without significant incident to the broad equity market. So it's a, you know, it's an interesting parallel. But what I was also thinking as you were talking, and either one of you can chime in on this, why is the Fed still talking about raising interest rates? I mean, we've, we've had so much tightening in such a short period of time. I've been calling them day after day. They don't answer my phone calls. Can we please <laughs> stop raising interest rates? The ghost of Paul Volcker that incredible fear that this turns into a situation in which inflation becomes very entrenched. I think that is the concern, just given that we haven't seen inflation prints like this in so long. Now, logically, we can understand how we got where we are, but I think the Fed is just so concerned that it repeat the the mistakes made um, many years ago, that it, it would prefer to go full Volcker um, to a certain extent on, on this economy. So let's let's timestamp this conversation just a little bit, right? We're recording this right before the June Fed meeting, and chances are pretty good most listeners will end up hearing this maybe after <laughs> that meeting happens. So when you think about, you know, going into the June meeting and then especially into the second half of the year, right? I mean, what what are you expecting to see? And I know that you know, more recently, we've seen maybe some surprises from Bank of Canada and Australia. So what do you think this all adds up to for the second half? So if you don't mind, I'll start. Um, well, Jody, luckily, we did a poll on LinkedIn last week. So what our what our readers are saying is is what I agree with, that we will see a pause uh, this this week. I believe, though, that it will be a hawkish pause, that it will come with a lot of language that is somewhat scary. Um, the proverbial sort of Damocles will be hanging over markets so that the Fed um, can try to keep a lid on uh, an easing of financial conditions. I think what's more important is going to be the summary of economic projections. I want to see um, what expectations are with the dot plot, not just about the terminal rate, but also when a rate cut or cuts are anticipated, because that to me is actually the bigger question facing markets right now. A skip and a pause, or it, wasn't that all the rage at the sock hops in the 1950s? Wasn't that the dance, a skip and a pause? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to watch some more Happy Days episodes and, and get back to you on that. Alessio, when you think about these markets, um, you you had talked a lot, and I stole a little bit of your thunder in the intro about the the soft landing market early in the year, and then the bad breath market that we're dealing with now. What is that telling you about? Uh, the expectation for the near-term direction of the economy and thinking tactically, what, is, what does that all suggest to you? Well, it's the, I think the, the, the market perception always needs to be respected. 
uh, right? Uh, I think in the interpretation of that price action, it does raise a question when the entire uh, year-to-day performance of the market, primarily in the US, this is not true elsewhere, primarily in the US is really driven by 10 names. And uh, these are your typical tech sector, mega cap quality names. So everything else being equal, a rally uh, led by these type of defensive quote unquote names, let's call them quality names, uh, does does feel a little bit more of a defensive rally than a rally led by the the risky cyclical sectors of the economy or names, which much more of a a value bent. We can see see the laggards uh, are cyclicals everywhere, right? Emerging markets, that have more operating leverage for the global cycle are lagging. Small and mid caps are lagging. So I think that that begs a begs a question. Financials right? historically, financials exactly. Financials are lagging. Uh, with this yield curve inversion, you can understand why, right? How how much more risk banks need to take out farther out in the curve in order to try to make a a, a positive spread, right? Um, so I think that uh, speaks to, in my mind a rally that is not indicative of 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 a new cycle right usually the beginning of the cycle is led by cyclicals is led by value is led by small caps but it's a rally nonetheless my interpretation i think the risks into the second half of the year are actually tilted towards a bit of a repeat of what we saw in november last year where we wait we wait we wait for that something to break it doesn't break. Fed policy or global monetary policy takes a pause. Uh, the markets welcome that. Uh, basically, inflation slows or inflation decelerates uh, more evidently than the growth is actually breaking. Right. So it could give us another round of call it the, those three to six months where actually the market does fairly well because market participants simply get tired of waiting for that. Uh, dreaded recession, right? So it could be an environment where 2023 goes down as a year where we waited for Godot and never arrived and markets delivered uh, healthy high single digits or low double digit returns across across equities and fixed income. Look at, you know, you were mentioning, uh, should we be overly tactical in this or are there things that we can do to navigate these type of market conditions? We said it many times in the past, these type of market conditions, if you, for example, focus on uh, investment grade and collect your five and a half, six percent yields uh, with very low volatility uh, or even high yield, right, with eight, nine percent yields at the moment with very, very low volatility, those are equity like attractive returns, but with a much better uh, risk profile and allow you, these type of exposures allow you to really wait for the cycle to to take a direction. So Alessio, of course, one of the things that, that we're seeing right now is investors are doing a lot of their waiting uh, in money markets, right? Money market balances have hit historic highs. And so, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, people who are maybe, you know, waiting with a lot of their cash in money markets and, and trying to figure out maybe what to do next with that and are just sitting and waiting and trying to figure it out? What what would you say to folks who are who are there right now? Well, obviously, we haven't seen this type of uh, short data yields in 20 years. So, so the temptation is, is incredible, right? But at the same time, uh, we look at these annualized yields and don't realize that uh, unless they persist for 
multiple years, you don't really get to collect them. So there, what I'm saying is there is reinvestment risk, right? So I would say that extending a little bit of duration and, uh, and increasing a little bit of the credit spread uh, can allow you to actually achieve much higher yields uh, and avoid a little bit of that reinvestment risk. I think it's always a function of the investment horizon. Uh, it's a strategy that has worked well for the last six months, of course, uh, but at some point, at some point, that reinvestment risk question uh, comes in. Should we turn to a conversation on equities? Sure. Sure. Christina, let's start. Um, you know, we've seen last year was was a valuation adjustment largely. Um, we've still we've still seen earnings. Uh, we've seen earnings moderate, but they, I don't think they've been as bad, similar to the economy as many people thought. Um, do we still need to go through an environment in which um, there will be an earnings adjustment and evaluations adjusted enough to to um, warrant what um, what type of earnings decline we may see? Well, certainly we are going to see <clears throat> deterioration in earnings, but I think it's important to recognize that you know typically what we see is that at the same time that happens we're seeing yields go down. Um, and that tends to lead to multiple expansions. So they can be countervailing forces. Um, so if your question is really, are we gonna retest lows from last year? I think that's that's very unlikely in this environment. Certainly we could see um, the stock market at periods of time this year come under pressure. Um, but I, I do believe that uh, a, a drop in yields is is likely to re lead to multiple expansion, and that will be um, a, a fairly potent force. So, Alessio, can you give us some of your thoughts too, kind of looking at equities in terms of of size and style and and region too, right? I mean, U.S. versus international or even emerging markets, right? Like, where do you where are you paying attention very closely right now and seeing potential opportunity? I think the the in in, uh, in analyzing basically the the, the cyclical uh, risks which may still be tilted to the downside for what we just discussed versus the uh, what is really at risk more from a structural standpoint. I think there is a there is a compelling case to begin to rotate more and more into international equities. Uh, we have discussed the, the dollar side, dollar valuations, but those, it's important to remember, they don't affect just the currency of the denomination of your investments. Um, uh, expensive dollar valuations will uh, mirror also cheap currency valuations in Japan, in the Eurozone, and how those cheap currency valuations really boost the local equity returns. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, you know, we know how, in the last six to 12 months, Europe surprised to the upside in terms of performance. And now we're seeing Japan delivering uh, a good outperformance. All these equity markets are very attractive, both from a valuation, local valuation standpoint and, and currency valuation. So I think there is really a case to, uh, after 15 years of US excellence, we know that these regional cycles tend to last about 10 to 15 years. Um, I think that is one important theme that uh, that investors can begin to deploy systematically in rebuilding a way for U.S.-based investors, right? Building an exposure uh, that that reduces that home country bias uh, towards international markets, um, and that strategy does not need to be overly focused and obsessed with the next Fed hike. 
the next inflation print. But it, it's a strategy that you can begin to deploy uh, methodically. And it allows you, by the way, to also diversify not only away uh, from a regional exposure, but diversifies away from that mega cap quality bias that we talked about uh, that is inherent in almost any U.S. equity exposure today. So should we get to the uh, the circadian rhythms portion of the, the conversation, Christina? <laughs> we, you know, relatively optimistic tone to this conversation, uh, although acknowledging some of the, you know, potential risks to the economy. Is there anything that you would identify as keeping you up at night? So I can't say that anything keeps me up at night because I, I do believe that um, if you have a long enough time horizon, um, you can you know, weather any kind of volatility you Clearly. experience. I mean, look how well we've done since co since we first learned the words COVID or co coronavirus-19. Uh, exactly. I, I, what does worry me, though, um, I will say, and this is this is something I, I learned living through the global financial crisis, was that there are some who um, get spooked uh, from the market environment and lock in losses, leave when the stock market is down, sit on the sidelines and don't know exactly when to get back in, miss out on a lot of, of strong performance. Um, and that certainly happened last fall. I think many were spooked. They got out. They sat on the sidelines. Um, certainly, they're getting paid a little more in yield. But I do worry about being able to re-enter the market, missing out on what has been very strong performance since then. So that's probably my biggest concern for investors. In terms of the macro environment and the kind of pitfalls we might see, of course, um, <clears throat> some are worrying about commercial real estate. And I think there are valid concerns there. But when I, I look at the space, I, I think that there are certainly some tailwinds in addition to the headwinds. Um, return to office policies uh, mean to me that um, we've already seen the trough in terms of office occupancy. I think it only gets better from here. And of course, commercial real estate is not just office space. There are other, um, many other parts of commercial real estate that are doing quite well. Um, so, so certainly there are concerns also when it comes to uh, commercial real estate loans and when they mature and need to be refinanced. But actually the, the vast majority of them are, are coming due later in 2024, 25, 26, um, we could be in a very different interest rate environment, different, uh, as well as a, a different environment in terms of, of credit conditions. So uh, I, I think that it's, it's premature to, to become uh, you know, obsessively worried about um, what could happen in coming years. Alessio, similar question for you. And, and, I, and I would add on to that based on Christina's comments, do you worry that commercial real estate is the next shoe to drop? Um, and do you have concerns about the implications for the regional banks? I think the valuations, uh, as always, markets reflect these things well in advance uh, and valuations have adjusted and reflected that. I don't think this is a stage in the cycle where you look at all the uh, office empty buildings and derive now <laughs> a conclusion <laughs> that commercial real estate may be in trouble. Right. Uh, valuations have been there, have gotten there. I think Christina raises uh, the, with, with her examples about return to office policies, uh, it brings back the eternal phrase, which is it's all what matters is are things getting better? better is yeah. the rate of change uh, improving no matter how poor 
the, con the starting level of conditions is. So I'm not concerned about uh, commercial real estate at this stage. I think that adjustment has largely taken place. I think where the balance of risks may still be, as we discussed earlier with uh, learning from our mistakes on inflation over the last 18 months or so, uh, it, where I look at positioning still being extended from a secular standpoint after 15 years of a bull market is in long duration US equities, right? There's in quality names, there's the dominance of, of growth styles. Uh, I think there is still an overhang of exposures there. And if we are uh, still underestimating what the real drivers are of inflation from both a cyclical and a secular standpoint. And if this tightening cycle were to indeed be longer, uh, higher for longer, uh, I think that's where in my mind, the positioning could see, still see some downside. Hence, diversification into more value, into smaller capitalizations, into other regions. I think where there's been concentration risk is in the equity markets, in the public equity markets with a growth bias. Um, and I think the uh, diversifying those exposures is probably uh, still where the balance of the risks may, may pay some dividends uh, and some better sleep at night. So when Jody and I first came up with the idea for this podcast, we said it should sound like a group of us having a cup of coffee together. And now that we're all going to be back in the office, I hope that we can actually have those cups of coffee together. So let's, let's, can we make that promise here on the Greater Possibilities podcast? Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. That's a promise. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of June 12, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. An investment cannot be made directly in an index. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Diversification asset allocation cannot eliminate the risk of fluctuating prices and uncertain returns and does not assure profit or protect against loss. In general, stock values fluctuate sometimes widely in response to activities specific to the company, as well as general market, economic, and political conditions. Fixed income investments are subject to credit risk of the issuer and the effects of changing interest rates. Interest rate risk refers to the risk that bond prices generally fall as interest rates rise and vice versa. An issuer may be unable to meet interest and or principal payments, thereby causing its instruments to decrease in value and lowering the issuer's credit rating. The values of junk bonds fluctuate more than those of high-quality bonds and can decline significantly over short time periods. The risks of investing in securities of foreign issuers, including emerging market issuers, can include fluctuation in foreign currencies, political and economic instability, and foreign taxation issues. A value style of investing is subject to the risk that the valuations never improve or that the returns will trail other styles of investing or the overall stock markets. Stocks of small and mid-sized companies tend to be more vulnerable to adverse developments, may be more volatile, and may be illiquid or restricted as to resale. 
investments in real estate-related instruments may be affected by economic, legal, or environmental factors that affect property values, rents, or occupancies of real estate. Real estate companies, including REITs or similar structures, tend to be small and mid-cap companies, and their shares may be more volatile and less liquid. Data on the Nikkei 225 index performance is from Bloomberg LP as of June 9, 2023. The Nikkei 225 index is a price-weighted average of 225 top-rated Japanese companies listed in the first section of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Information on the federal funds rate is from the Federal Reserve comparing June 2022 versus June 2023. The federal funds rate is the rate at which banks lend balances to each other overnight. Data on bond yields from Bloomberg LP as of May 31, 2023. Investment-grade bonds represented by the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Bond Index, which measures the investment-grade fixed-rate taxable corporate bond market. High-yield bonds represented by the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate High-Yield Bond Index, which tracks performance of below-investment-grade U.S. dollar-denominated corporate bonds publicly issued in the U.S. domestic market. The yield curve plots interest rates at a set point in time, of bonds having equal credit quality but differing maturity dates to project future interest rate changes and economic activity. An inverted yield curve is one in which shorter-term bonds have a higher yield than longer-term bonds of the same credit quality. A basis point is one one-hundredth of a percentage point. Tightening is a monetary policy used by central banks to curb inflation. Quantitative easing is a monetary policy used by central banks to stimulate the economy when standard monetary policy has become ineffective. Duration measures a bond's or fixed income portfolio's price sensitivity to interest rate changes. Data measuring the impact of consumer spending on the economy is from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. The Federal Reserve's dot plot is a chart that the central bank uses to illustrate its outlook for the path of interest rates. The Summary of Commentary on Current Economic Conditions is a summary of anecdotal information on current economic conditions gathered by each Federal Reserve Bank. A multiple is any ratio that uses the share price of a company along with some specific per-share financial metric to measure value. Generally speaking, the higher the multiple, the more expensive the stock. Credit spread is the difference in yield between bonds of similar maturity but with different credit quality. The Greater Possibilities Podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.